Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Sam Carroll and Chris Beasley as we chew the fat for all the major talking points at Goodison Park in this winter break, of course. Carlo Ancelotti giving the Blues players five days off, but they signed off for that well-end rest. The 3-1 victory over Crystal Palace that took the Blues seventh and keeps up with the momentum at this late charge for European qualification. We will reflect uh, on the Palace win uh, and how it was achieved. Plus, we will talk about John Pickford, who gave a very strong interview after the game. I'm sure you've read it on our website. Uh, we will discuss what he had to say. Plus, um, what should Everton do at right back in the summer? A uh, piece we wrote today about John Joe Kenny and how Everton are closely monitoring his loan at Schalke. But of course, the decision over his future involves many other people, Coleman and Sidibe, and of course, the new manager as well. So we will talk all about that. Uh, but we'll start with Palace, as as we didn't get the chance to pod any earlier this week. Um, hard fought in the end, uh, Bees. Um, but we, we were worthy winners, though, weren't we, all told? In the end, yeah, it was a, str- it was a strange one. Uh, at 1-0, Everton looked um, almost totally in control, but then they started the second half a bit sluggish. But even so... The equaliser just totally came out of nothing. Um, Benteke, who hadn't scored all season. I mean, we'll touch on it later. Soft shot on the Pickford's body, one all. But yeah, like you said, it was a pivotal moment, though. I thought that when Richarlison did score that goal because Everton were under co- under the cosh at that moment, Pickford had gone on and made a, a good save to deny Benteke a second. Sorry, that was was that just after just after the, the, just the after goal. The goal. Yeah, 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 but it was a period when absolutely when Palace uh, were on top. So for Richardson to just go down the other end and um, to score in the, the manner that he did, uh, yeah, that that was a that was a big thing. But yeah, they're, they're, they're looking convincing the fact that they can have those setbacks within games. With, whether it's two 0 down at Watford, you don't want that too often happening in games like that. But yeah, the fact that when they they are on the back foot, they can claw themselves back into the games where they don't seem to have that fragility that they'd had in the in the recent past. Sam, what struck me, um, kind of about Saturday, and, and put it in put it in one of our pieces. You know, we moved seventh, and the last time, of course, we finished seventh to qualify for Europe was was twenty seventeen, the first season of Cumin. And for me, there were shades of that that running with Cumin where. We didn't always play brilliantly, but there was just an inevitability and a belief about the team uh, as we kind of just marched the seventh with, with room to spare. And of course, it, you know, it's doubtful that we'll, we will do that this time. It'll be much tighter if we do qualify for the Europa League. But did you get a sense that there was any reminder of that of, of that team from from two and a half years ago? Yeah, I think it's definitely that sense of mentality change, and, and mentality has been spoken about so often at Everton this season and, and often in a negative light and I think you know under Marco there, there was you know it, it happens to any team that, that aren't playing with confidence and aren't getting results but any time the other team would score you'd just be like well that's it we've lost it's over or we definitely we certainly won't win you know and there was that stat that was obviously widely doing the rounds at the time when when Marco got sacked that we never came from behind to, to win a game under him and, and it, there was just that air of ine- inevitability but you know as B is saying it was a bit of a tricky a tricky time 
strange really because at half time we seemed quite settled and, and and quite on top, and and you know and Carl probably admit that we we were we were terrible for the first five, ten, fifteen minutes of the second half. But now, as you're saying, that there's a there's a real strong parallel with with that Cumin season of we're just we're just getting the results, aren't they? And you think just the ones that come to come to the top of my head straight away under under Ancelotti, and you've got. You know, the Burnley game, his first game of goods, and we kept plugging away. We got that goal. You know, Newcastle away, where they equalised, but we kept going and got the winner. And again there, Richarlison almost taking on the, the Lukaku mantle of, of dragging us towards Europe with, with you know, that that's the kind of raw power he possesses, isn't he? It was like, it, it was pure street footy, wasn't it, that mm. goal? He, he, there was no skill, there was no flicks and tricks. It was just straight power, wasn't it? Running down the field and, and scoring that goal. And it, was, and it was nice to see Calvert-Lewin as well get... Get another one at the end. So, yeah, I think there's there's definitely an air of belief. And, and what I think is quite exciting now is that, you know, looking at that game in the context of the, of the next couple of fixtures, which is Arsenal away and Manchester United at home, um, you know, we'll let you use that belief. This is this is a port. This is probably the the worst Arsenal team you, you, you're going to have faced in a long time at the Emirates. And, and the same maybe for Manchester United, a team that would be comfortably 4-0 last season. So, you know, if we're, we're the team in the ascendancy at the moment, we're, we're going to be playing them more confident than those two teams, more settled than those two teams. Um, and, you know, you get two results there and, and the, the landscape of the season changes even more dramatically than, than we think it has right now. Because um, on last week's pod, we talked about how many times had, had we all watched the winner at Watford. How many times do you think people have been watching Richarlison's goal? Because hmm. um, Preno, who's, who's not in today's pod, yeah. uh, said to me on Sunday, you think it's his favourite goal of the season. All right. Um, it was a lovely view. I know obviously you two were at the game itself, but um, we were back here in the office and there was a, there was a great view from the the, the, um, the cameras of, of the goal, quite quite high up mm-hmm. and also panoramic of Goodison, just just seeing how it unfolded. Um, yeah, it, 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 was a, it, was, um, it was a great moment. And yeah, um, it, it was, uh, like you say, not, not necessarily um, skill or finesse, but... Um, Pure power. I must also say, actually, the, the opening goal as well was great because you knew it was going to happen. You when you saw that cross come mm. in from Walcott and the way that Bernard took it at the back post, you just knew that was going to be one 0 So a cu- couple of uh, really enjoyable goals. And um, on on the flip side of that, um, Calvert Lewin's just a tapping, but that's great because we're saying about Calvert Lewin, he's now got that poacher's instinct um, in and around the, the six yard box. So yeah, three different goals, but um, all enjoyable in their own different ways. The, the atmosphere obviously would have been like a, a half twelve kickoff, wasn't it? best but there was just something about that goal wasn't it like I think even me and you had a, had a little celebration when it went in because you, you don't often see that kind of that type of goal very often do you and it just kind of came in in the blink of an eye and I also think from from the couple of times I've watched it back and it's gone a little bit under the radar is, is Calvert-Lewin winning that initial Flick little up. header you know mm-hmm. it's a it's a dead ball that it's, it's going nowhere it's, you know it's a, a loose ball and you know what what a kind of um, a decision and, and obviously you've got to track it back to, to dunk but that kind of partnership of, of Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin, it's just working at the moment, isn't it? You know, and it's helping that Calvert-Lewin's got the confidence to score goals. You know, he, to- he told me after the game, you know, now he's disappointed when he goes out on the pitch and, and doesn't score. And, you know, to think that this was a player who only scored six Premier League goals in the entire of, of last season, what, what a kind of change he's had and what a second after the season he's having. But what, what I do love about Richarlison is, is he can just do it all. And I think you could tell him to go and play left-back and he'd probably be one of the... The best players on the pitch, and you know what? What manager wouldn't want a player who can score a goal out of nothing like that? In putting that goal into context, I was just thinking: there's there anybody else in the Everton squad who could have picked the ball up where Richarlison did 
and single-handedly turn it into a goal. And that's not a criticism of the other players. I think I'm just trying to highlight how special yeah. this, you know, this lad is. Maybe, maybe, certainly the the physical attributes he got. You'd like to think maybe once he gets a little bit more confidence behind him, that that's kind of what we've brought brought Moise Keane mm. for. But yeah. apart from that, at the moment, there's, there's not there's no one of that profile. But at the same time, I don't think there's many players of that profile currently in the in the Premier League. You know, he's, he's he has just got something about him at the moment and he, he almost reminds me a little bit of of Mane at Liverpool like a, a lot of power and a lot of kind of you know confidence in his own ability and and, and you know with, with Richarlison now it certainly seems what what I'm also liking about him this season there's been a few times there where he could have maybe look for the, for the other option but he's, he's certainly got that that ruthless streak I think he fancies himself as a central striker and you know he's certainly got the, the finish to boot because you know that goal the goal against Brighton this season the couple against Brighton last season, Wolves on his debut, you know he he takes the hard chances, doesn't he? You, you can't knock him. He, he doesn't often score the easy ones. No, I think he's an absolutely phenomenal player for this football club. And B's Royal Blue Podcast favourite, Gav Buckland, um, <laughs> said to me as they turned round after uh, after probably after the goal in a period where Richarlison was was showing his his uh, his quality. He said the two best players in the Premier League outside of the established. Top four, five, if you like, we're on the pitch at the moment. Mm. Richarlison and Wilfred Zaha. Would you agree that Richarlison is now has to be talked about in that bracket? Yeah, I think you, you could say um, this season. Um, obviously, we follow Everton's fortunes a lot more closely than Crystal Palace's, but I, I think that Richarlison um, is, is has done more sort of highlight real moments like that this season than I can recall um, Zaha doing. I mean, yeah, it was it was widely recognised. We talked about in the previous podcast when there was those rumours of Zaha coming to Everton last season that he was supposedly the best player outside that those elite group of clubs. But yeah, the way that um, Richarlison has come on, I think you just want to have that little bit more con- consistency with him at, at times. Sometimes he blows hot and cold, but I mean, he's having to do... Has been for a long time two different kind of roles. He's um, obviously with the four four two now. He does tend to be as part of a, stri- a strike pairing with Calvert Lewin, but he spent a lot of the time under the previous previous regime either alternating between um, a central striking role or on the wing. But yeah, it, it, he's he's, he's um, certainly uh, one of the premier um, talents outside those uh, established um, big six. And hence, whether we like it or not, why. You know, there are at times speculation um, linking him with um, other clubs with um, greater resources. So 13 league goals for Richarlison last season, 13 for Sigurdsson last season. Calvert-Lewin's got 11, so you would think, you know, very realistic that he will match or even uh, go past last season's um, top scorer tally. What, what should Richarlison be aiming for in the final 12 games? I think... 15, 15 plus. I think I think that's achievable. I think um, if if he can get to that now, then then what an incredible two seasons he, he's had. I, I don't know. I don't know whether people might say for the amount of money you've paid for him, should he be looking at fifteen, twenty? You know, fifteen would still be a a, a brilliant kind of tally to finish on. But I just think for for a young lad, it's it's consistency, isn't it? And and I think you've also got to remember he started the season reasonably slowly in, in, in terms of goals as well. You know, and Calvert Lewin kinda of did a little bit as well. So I think if both of them can aim for for around that fifteen mark, then surely one of them next season can can kick on and go towards twenty. And you know, it's been a long time since Everton have had a a consistent fifteen to twenty goal a season 
strikers, isn't it? We, we haven't had that since Rom. Mm. We've been searching for it, and you know how incredible would it be if if kind of it, it had been Calvert Lewin all along that we were just waiting to yeah, to to kick on. So Richarlison next season, I think for for the, for how old he's going to be, I, I, I definitely expect him to to head towards that that twenty category. So I think this season, you know, Ancelotti and and Richarlison himself will, will probably just want to to keep getting minutes under his belt and keep scoring goals and, and keep that confidence flowing because as you were saying, I don't think there's many players outside, you know, that, that top four, that top six that have a player like Richarlison and, and how important he is to Everton at the moment. And, you know, you've got to remember he, he's been doing this in, in two pretty difficult seasons for the club. You know, we had a long, difficult stretch under Silver last season. We've had a change of manager this year, you know, his his mentor and he and he's playing still possibly playing the, the best football of his Everton career. So staggering, really. And no surprise that we've already now started having these kind of early early rumblings of of other teams, of bigger teams wanting them because I'm 100% certain that won't be the last we, we hear of, of teams interested. Mm, sadly not. Um, B's story we carried initially Sunday evening and then uh, updated for Monday morning. Um, due to results, we weren't certain how the results were going to go. But Brazil will be playing in the Olympics. Of course, Richarlison will be part of the Brazilian squad for the Copa America. Uh, it's come around again. Uh, the Chelsea have changed the, the, yeah. the schedule. So it's come around 12 months. Obviously, Brazil defending champions, Richarlison scoring a penalty in the final last summer. He will be, of course, we imagine, in that squad. Um, but then it's been suggested um, in an interview that he, he, he gave to the Daily Mail uh, on the weekend that he could be, or has made it known that he wants to be available for the Olympics in Tokyo. Um, I asked Carlo Ancelotti after the game on Saturday um, what he thought of that. Um, and he said, look, it's 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 way off. I haven't really given it much consideration. But to paraphrase his response, he said, we're going to have to talk to Brazil. Brackets, I don't want this to happen because, of mm. course, the tournament uh, at the Olympics runs until the opening date of the Premier League season. Now, do you think Everton have got an issue on their hands, given uh, our, our friends across the desk who cover Liverpool tell me reliably that Mo Salah looks like possibly would be going to, into the Egypt squad uh, mm-hmm. and Minamino, if I've pronounced that correct, yeah. is almost a cert to play for Japan. Do we have a, a, a problem on the horizon? We certainly do. If there's um, a double tournament and that you say that with the Copa America as as well, but the Olympics, um, whether we like it or not, is, is, is par for the course, certainly with the younger players. It's, it's interesting that <coughs> some of the older ones, like um, Salah, who would be an overage player, is obviously so keen to take part, it seems. But um, I think it's primarily an under 23s tournament, yeah. um, the Olympic football. I remember when it was um, here in the UK and in, in London back in 2012, went to quite a few of the games up at Old Trafford myself. Um, Young Neymar was playing for Brazil. Look what he's gone on and uh, so, achieved. So, he's, so uh, that's a really good point. But he's, mm-hmm. he's that part of the problem because it's it's maybe for Brazilian players it's quite a well trodden path. And and Richarlison may look at Neymar now as mm-hmm. a senior member of the Brazil squad and somebody he looks up to and go, well, he went and did it. Yeah, oh, de- definitely. I think I think it's a it, it's a big deal. It ne- it never really has at all in the UK, but partly because. I think until um, London 2012, we we didn't really have a, a, a team. We had that combined UK um, Team GB for that game just because it, as the host nation, mm. I think that we're expected to, to, to take part. But yeah, because it, it is GB rather than the, you know, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland that we're used to in football. Never really had uh, 
sort of uh, much time for Olympic football. But yeah, a lot of these countries, it it, it is a, a big deal. I think even someone like a young Idrissa Gay was playing for Senegal in that tournament as well. Sadio Mane again across the flat, possibly. Um, yeah, um, it, it, it's certainly for the for the younger players like Richarlison, that 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 is a a big deal. And um, yeah, he'll be, I'm sure he'll be very keen to take part. So. As much as we don't like it, I, I, I guess that's always going to be a realistic um, headache for, for Carlo Ancelotti going into the season. Because like you say, with it only finishing late as well, you'd imagine Brazil would have a fair chance mm. of going deep into the tournament. Perhaps there was a lot of stages, they'd be out for a, for a medal. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's always um, the risk that you run. Sam, can, can, can Richarlison a cope with... It, undoubtedly, he's got the enthusiasm mm. and the desire and you know what he plays with the pain barrier. So we know he would... In many ways, have no issue playing a Cup America and then having and then going straight into an Olympics. But for a player that's so important to the to the club, can can we really allow him to play both in the summer? Not really, no. Because I think what what you're forgetting is it's not just that kind of initial impact, is it? You know, by this time next season, so the end of you know twenty 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 one, yeah. The he'll have then basically played two years of, of unbroken football, but he won't have had that chance. And I just think on on a young lad's body like that, the, there's just no way it'll happen in terms of he either picks up an injury, gets fatigued, or, or just you know the, the serious risk of just total burnout. And then you know for a, for a few weeks in the summer, for a few weeks of a summer tournament, then Everton kind of lose a, 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 their best player for for large chunks of the season. So that's obviously going to be Everton's argument. But at the same time, it is just such a difficult position that kind of uh, they've been thrown into, really, isn't it? I think we all remember that video of him uh, when he was selected for, I think it might have been the last Copa America and all his family really, were watching yeah, the TV. Yeah, you know, he's got yeah. a, a, a real enthusiasm, a real love of playing for his country, like, obviously, like any young lad, but also then the, the South Americans, I think, really take these kind of ta- tournaments seriously as well. And the Olympics, obviously, as B said, they, they won the last one in 2016 in Brazil. So the the likelihood is that they're at least getting to the to the latter stages. So it's just so difficult. If if I was Everton, I'd I don't know. I'd be tempted to just put my foot down and just say, well, well, you're not going. You're our player, and you're not going. But I'd imagine the matter is a little bit more complicated than that. Yes, I'm sure it'd be a bit more diplomatic conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you know, as, as as we say, you know, his enthusiasm to play for his country is part of what you know his enthusiasm to play football is part of what makes him and sets him apart, isn't it? So hopefully, there could be an amicable solution to that. Um, okay, moving on. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast. John Pickford coming, obviously. Out of the game, Crystal Palace's equaliser, as Chris mentioned earlier, uh, was somewhat soft. Uh, a, a shot low, close to John Pickford's body, his near post was allowed to squirm under him, and Palace equalised. Benteke scoring for the first time in 34 Premier League games and drawing Palace level. Um, he did, of course, John Pickford pull out an exceptional save thereafter when the scores were 2 1 after Richarlison. Put the Blues back in front, quite remarkable reflex save from the same player to keep the lead intact. But of course, he was—he um, had the bit between his teeth when he came through the mix zone afterwards and gave an interview uh, to the media where he spoke about the criticism he gets um, at all levels from all all media and and and, and fans or punters, as, as he referred to them as. Um, Sam, has John got a point, or does he does he does he need to accept that being criticised? as a Premier League player in a high profile in the spotlight at a club 
size of Everton's and playing for his national team is it's just par for the course, really. Yeah, I think it's an, it's difficult, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, we we all make mistakes in in our, in in work, and not a lot of us have it kind of amplified to the point that the footballers do, and and the Pickford does, and obviously probably starting for, from that game at Anfield last season up until now, he he has unfortunately made a a few mistakes which have which have been picked up on because they were kind of match defining mistakes and he, he has been quite unfortunate in that. I think that other goalkeepers and other top goalkeepers, sometimes when you watch them, they just have that little bit of luck where they might spill one, the defender clears it or, you know, they just they just get away with them and unfortunately at the moment Pickford has got the bad habit of, of not getting away with them and them costing goals and, and a lot of the time they, they cost important goals and, you know, it was, it was a strange one after the game for him to kind of maybe give that interview because we'd won but he obviously came out with as you said, the bit between his teeth to kind of give give that strong an, an interview and something he wanted to get off his chest. Clearly. Oh, definitely, yeah. he, he came out, didn't he? Fully with the intention to say that, and, and judging by the things he said, you know, especially kind of pinpointing Gaddy Neville and other pundits, was something that's obviously mm. been on his mind a little bit. And I just think it's just frustrating with with Jordan sometimes because he he had something similar last season where he had the kind of Liverpool letter, and then the game at Newcastle, and there was a lot of talk around him. And then he was pretty much perfect until the end of the season. Didn't make no mistakes. We started off this season defensively pretty solidly. I think he kept a clean sheet on the opening day. And, and, and was vital in his keeping the clean sheet. Yeah, you know, yeah. had a really good game. And then Watford, it was another clean sheet, wasn't it? So he started strongly and it had all kind of just blown over a little bit. But now again, you know, when you make those errors, you've, you've kind of just got to accept the there will be criticism and you do just have to put your head down because at the moment, I, I, I do think for the first time since those World Cup heroics is, is England places in... He's in a little bit of a little bit of doubt, but first and foremost, he's he's got to be performing for Everton, and I, and I just think sometimes it's that mentality side of the game that's letting him down because no one doubts the, you know, he has definitely definitely won Everton more points than he's lost them since he signed, and he's 100%. he's made some incredible saves, and and I still think he's a really important player for Everton and someone that is going to be our goalkeeper for the for the next ten years. But you know, he, he's got to start looking at himself, and you can't start, keep pointing the fingers of pundits and critics and the newspapers and, and the media because at the end of the day, it's now down to him to stop making those mistakes on, on such a consistent basis. You know, every every goalkeeper's got going to make them every now and again, but, you know, we, we need Pickford to be as consistent as can be now if, if we are going to push towards the Europa League. But he's, understandably, whenever, they go, whenever Pickford or any goalkeeper makes a mistake, it creates a debate among supporters about mm. whether the goalkeeper is... Still should be the club's number one. Whether he's suitable, could we do better, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Where? How do you feel? My my personal opinion is, and I agree with Sam. John Pickford wins us more points than he costs us. Yeah. It was it was a mistake. I know he said there was mitigation. Got his mm-hmm. studs. I don't buy the I don't buy the mitigation particularly. I think he should have saved it regardless. A goalkeeper of his of his ability, yeah. but I think he's. I think on the whole, in the two and a half, nearly three seasons he's been with us, he's mm. been one of our best players. I think he's been a very, very good signing and 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 the more he matures, and I think that's the key, he, he needs to mature, as you, and he will do, he will become an even better goalkeeper. Do you have any issue with, with Jordan Pickford as, as our number one? And forget the England stuff yeah, for yeah, now yeah. because we're not really interested, no. are we? Um, I think that is part of the problem, but no, for, for Everton, um, yeah, I, I, I think that... Everton have got a stronger goalkeeper 
as Everton could get. Mm. And I think it would cost them a lot of money to replace him with someone someone else. So I'm very much of the same thought that the both of you two, that Jordan Pickford is good for Everton and Everton are good for Jordan Pickford and he should stay as Everton's number one. Um, but I do think that, I think it is those outside influences, the fact that he is England's number one, which is why there is so much scrutiny. If he wasn't England's number one, I mean, Evertonians would be disappointed with that, but ultimately that didn't cost Everton um, at the weekend. They came back and they, they won the game 3-1. But it's because he's England's number one, and that is, it's new territory for Everton. Everton, have, I've said before on this podcast, you know, at risk of repeating myself, it is the first time that Everton have had an established England number one with them. Um, only three other keepers been capped for England while with Everton, and they've never really been a long-time number one. So... Certainly in where we are now, it's always been a case for many years, but in 2020 with the media scrutiny the way it is now with the England national team, obviously Gareth Southgate was there in the crowd at Goodison Park. He didn't have many other options at the weekend, but there he was watching. That's where the, I think the pressure comes from because people are saying, well, it should be X or it should be Y or whether that's Henderson or Pope or whoever else is doing whatever at other clubs. That's why his, his mistakes are amplified. But yeah, I do think that he should be doing better at times. That's only because we know how good he is and the fact that a couple of minutes later he pulls out that worldie and stops Benteke anyway. Um, without spoiling what we've got coming on the horizon, obviously, uh, as you both know, I, I spoke to Neville Southall this week and we'll be going with that story at the weekend. He's got his Brilliant ideas. stuff, by the way. Yeah. Be listening. Yeah. Make sure you check that out at the weekend. Yeah, Rick, I mean, best keeper in the world at his pump, you know, best keeper Everton ever had. So he's... He's got some really interesting views about the way Jordan can improve and what he needs to do with the critics. But my own personal take is that, yeah, he, sh he should be doing better at times. It just seems to be a, a lack of concentration because we know physically, you know, he's got those attributes to pull off those great saves. But whether it's Newcastle last season, when, he's, when his head went or whatever happened in those last moments at Anfield last season, there just seems to be moments when the concentration goes. Because we all know technically there's no reason in the world why he shouldn't have... You know, stop that daisy cutter from Benteke, but somehow it slipped through. So, yeah, and I think that um, you know, if he, if he can just get his head right, you know, um, he's got the attributes, you know, to be a great keeper. And look, Sam, you know, <laughs> regular podcast listeners know we we uh, we review for your previous with Everton's Academy. But on a serious note, you know, goalkeeping better than any of us. What is it about Jordan Pickford that makes him, in your opinion, um, you know, a, 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 an, a, an elite level goalkeeper or world class goalkeeper or you know? I think the, the one thing that always sticks with me is I always remember on his debut against Stoke when obviously Rooney scored that header and, and he hadn't really had nothing to do. And then in the last minute, I don't know if you remember it, but mm. someone hit an absolute banger, which may have been Shakir. Yeah, so I've got Shakir yeah, and, and you know, he, as soon as he hit it, I just kind of looked away and was just like, that's 1 1, like that, yeah. that's a goal. And and just produced an, an unbelievable kind of save. And, and for me, that is what he's all about. You know, he is just. He is a brilliant shot stopper, and he's a, he's a natural shot stopper, and that is just genuinely something that you, you don't coach that. You know, you you you're born with that, or you know, just a really natural ability to do those kinds of things. And you know, even in that first couple of seasons as well, you know, from from a couple of years of of, of Howard and and towards the end, certainly Rob Les, you know, we hadn't really had a keeper who was who, who I felt like was quite commanding. And even for a young lad, you know, when you watch them, he's he's certainly got a presence, and he's certainly not not scared of of telling the people in front of him what he thinks. And, and I do generally think then it's, he's got the right mix of ability and, and the attitude because he believes in himself and, and he's got that confidence. And it is just, I think, 
the words you've used to just sum him up perfectly is he is his maturity and how he matures in the next couple of years, isn't it? Because certainly I, I wouldn't say there's many better shot stoppers than him in the Premier League. He's got the quite often his, his distribution is up there, isn't he? You know, we've all seen him pull a few passes out and his long kicking is good, his throwing's good. And just and sorry to interrupt sometimes sometimes one of the criticism is that his kicking can sometimes go awry, sometimes a bit erratic. Maybe is he sometimes a victim of his own ambition? Because we all know how good he can be in distributing the ball and we we've seen some unbelievable passes that he's he's produced. Does sometimes do you think as part of his learning, does he sometimes have to rein it in and sometimes not have to be as ambitious as he sometimes is and, and, and yeah, try for those those passes that have got a percent, a slim percentage chance of coming off? Yeah, and, that, and that's that's part of it, isn't it? And I think game management is is suddenly sometimes again can can work on it in that sense that you know sometimes it doesn't have to be a, a chipped pass out wide or you know when you've got one of the best headers of the ball probably in the world right now in Dominic Calvert-Lewin up front sometimes it can just it, it can do that and, and it is what it is isn't it but certainly it's, it's always nice to see him do a, a little ball to Dean or to Coleman or to the, whoever's playing playing right back and he has got in his locker but as, as you're saying the other thing you've got to think about sometimes is you know certainly under Silver it felt like that was something he, he was being asked to do wasn't it and maybe sometimes if it's not quite on but he's thinking in the back of my mind well I've been asked to do it and I'm going to go for it but yeah, you know, Ancelotti's got faith in him, hasn't he? And, and he said that pretty early on when there was rumours that he was in the market for a goalkeeper. But, you know, it looks like he's got faith in him. Um, you know, and, and and he's seemingly, it seems like he's he's highly thought of, you know, by Alan Kelly as well from some of the things he said on him in the past. So I think now it is just about him getting to the end of the season, not making any more errors that people are going to kind of have his name. Uh, in the newspaper and that about because obviously that's not a nice feeling especially with the Euros coming up and, and if he can keep that jersey and have a strong summer then I think Everton have got you know a top keeper for many many years to come Speaking about what uh, Michael Silver asked him to do with the ball at his feet Allardyce used to just tell him to get rid of it as far and as long as possible Ah, oh, miss those days don't we? <laughs> uh, Moving on uh, a conversation that we were having mid, mid-game in the press box Chris um, mm-hmm. As he was brought on, albeit delayed because he forgot to put on his oh. sock. Um, it's getting to the point now. We're only two and a half, three months of the season left. Everson took Jibril Sidibe on loan from AS Monaco with the option to buy him for around £12.7 million. Would you keep him? I don't know if I would, but that's not any slight to Sidibe. He's done well. It's just like, as you mentioned earlier, the fact that John Joe Kenny has also done very well at Schalke. So... Do you sacrifice this young lad? Um, actually, mentioned to Phil earlier this morning. Someone had said on Twitter, if Everton were to sign a 22-year-old right back from possibly Champions bound, Champions League bound Schalke this summer, everyone would be like, "Oh well, that's a promising sign." Real buzz, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah so the fact kid, that yeah. you've already got somebody like that on the books, homegrown hero in John Joe Kenny, chomping at the bit to come back. Um, yeah, that would be that would be my, my doubt. I mean, unless you. You go radical and you say, well, thank you for all you've done, Seamus Coleman, but move your honour and have Sadibi and Kenny as the two options. Yeah, I think it's very much up for grabs. But I think that what I think the whole Kenny factor puts a big question mark over Sadibi, given that he's the only one of those three options which isn't currently an Everton player permanently. Um, I, I guess it, there's, there's so much for Carlo to consider in that does well, he want to have a look at John Joe oh, yeah. first before he even makes that decision? But 
can he afford to do that in that Sadibi match? And I'll say, well, I'm going to go somewhere else. And, and does and, and you make a very good point, Chris? Does does Carlo and Everton? Is there enough time in competitive situations for Carlo to have a proper look at John Joe? You know, he may have the opportunity to go to Germany between mm. now and the end of the season, maybe. And then after that, he's, yeah. he's he's got him at training at the start of July at Finch Farm, and and, and you know, pre-season will start yeah. sort of early July, mid-July, the games, but then they're, pre, they're friendly games, you're getting a real gauge. Yeah. Do you think he has to lean on, on the advice of, of brands and, and the recruitment department more for this decision? I'm, I'm sure it will be a, a big factor. I think the whole um, reason that John Joe Kenny was sent out on loan would, would not be because Everton were just trying to make a, a few quid on him. No. They, they were obviously thinking, well, we've still got Seamus Coleman here as the established right back as the club captain. So we need to see what John Joe's like for a full season, albeit in German football, as it turned out, playing uh, week in, week out at, that, at the highest level with the idea that he can eventually come back and become first choice right back, at least challenged to be first choice mm. right back. Uh, Everton, yes, yeah, so it may be that Carlo speaks to Marcel Brands and say, where do you think he's at? What, what's your idea in this um, right-back situation? Because I think, arguably, in any um, individual area of the pitch currently, it's the it's the the one position which is most up for grabs, is the, mo- the, the the most question marks about this summer. In that you've you've got three very good players there. That I mean, nobody's letting anyone down mm. there. Three different stages of their career. Seamus Coleman, who's been there, done it all. Is, Good as any right back Everton have ever had, totally revolutionised the the position. But he had that nasty injury, isn't what he was. But then his presence within the dressing room, mm. you got Gabriel Sadibi, sort of supposedly at the peak of his powers, mid mid career there, and then somebody like John Joe Kenny, who's who's coming through in the promise for the the future. So. Yeah, it, it's difficult because you can't kind of keep one of them waiting. Say, well, let's have a look at John Joe Kenny. Or you just wait there for a, a couple of weeks of DB. You, you, you've got you've got to work fast. So yeah, it may be a case that it's not entirely one that Carlo does on his own. That um, he, he does um, he, look see how John Joe's got on. Look, look see what Marcel Brand's idea is. It. I mean, we don't even know what Sadibi's thoughts are. I may mean, saying all the right things, yeah. of course, but. Who knows? He may think, oh, well, okay, it's been it's been decent at Everton, but go and do something else next season." French for decent, Sam, and decent. <laughs> not, not quite sure. <laughs> um, we're basing this discussion, Sam, on, on on two players per position, which is the you know the very loose but fairly applicable rule to, to squad building twenty three man squad. As we as we sit here now, we'll put you on the spot. What, what's your two for the start of next season? Oh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Well, it, well, it is, isn't it? Yeah. This is the this is the thing. It's so difficult. It is just there's just too many factors in there. I think at the moment to to have a clear a clear say right now. You know, for for all intents and purposes, Kenny is having a brilliant time in in Schalke, and you know, judging by your piece today, haven't they've got all the kind of data and widgets they need to kind of monitor monitor that. So you know, which is obviously good. But then will Ancelotti make a decision based on? What brands has seen, what the data say. He's probably gonna, you know, he's, he's long enough in the tooth to probably want him to come back, isn't he, and have a look. But then does that leave it too late if if you wait until pre-season to to then make these decisions? Then would it be too late to make a decision on Sadibi? You know, and there's just, there's so much that could go wrong as well, isn't there? You know, at the end of the day, if if you said, right, we're gonna go with Coleman, we're gonna sign Sadibi, we'll have them two, we'll sell Kenny, and then Kenny goes on to continue blossoming at Schalke and in a few years he's worth he's a 40 million pound right back that we've let slip between our fingers then 
that's difficult. But at the same time, then you could go, right, he's been brilliant, bring him back. He might not have the same effect. So for me, it's just so, so difficult at the moment. I'd... And in his, I mean this in the most um, complimentary term, it's Coleman complicating matters because Coleman, as Bees alluded to, is no longer guaranteed first choice. It's, it's very much, you know, every couple of weeks it seems to change and there's a rotation and we know Carlo is, is kind of keen on certain elements of rotation anyway. But it was like that last season when, when him and Kenny... Is it because he's club captain and he and he's probably a real influence, uh, really good around the place, ultra professional, uh, you know, a, a shining light for the younger players? Does that complicate matters because he also because he brings all of that to the club and the squad as well as being a dependable right back in the Premier League, albeit somebody who was who's not at the peak of his powers? Yeah, and and that the other thing is that you know you you know what you're getting from Seamus, isn't mm. it? You know that. You know, even his performance against Crystal Palace, you know, the, in the first half forced Wilfred Zaha to, to switch flanks. At this point, not that many defenders gonna going to do that. But at the same time, he has he has just lost that little yard of pace, hasn't he? And that little spark that made him, you know, one of Europe's best right-backs for, for such a long period of time. I, just, I feel like Coleman is kind of just the, the safe option at the moment, isn't it? And that's not a bad thing. He, he, I just think you look at look at how... How much value the club placed in handing Leighton Baines a new one-year deal, yeah. you know, rather than saying to Anthony Robinson, right, you come in and, you know, and I just wonder whether there's a similar thought process with Seamus and that's why three into two doesn't go. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and this, and to be honest, the more you talk about it, the more it's probably going to be the most interesting, or one of the most interesting subplots of, of Everton's summer. But right now, I think it's bordering on the impossible to, to say what they're going to do. I, I think they could do any of that and, and even... I still think they could even go out and, and buy another right back and, and, and complicate things even more. And, you know, they could have a, an alternative kind of identified who, who Ancelotti really likes and says, I want him to be my first choice. And then, you know, it's it's three names then that you have to decide who, who fights for that place. So, you know, there's, there's just so much that can happen. Further further muddy in the waters, Chris, is, is, <laughs> is there any, do any of the conversations that Marcel, Carlo and, and the team have centre around the fact that Sadibi has operated as a right winger fairly admirably this season. Now I know, I know, you know, he would not be the answer. You know, the club have made it clear that a right a right winger is something they will be looking at. And I'm not saying that we sign him for that position, but his versatility is that another issue that complicates this? No, no, okay. he's done, he's done, no, he's done. He has, he's done admirably. Um, he's he's performed. He's done a, a good job on that right hand side of the midfield, but going. But that's just a necessity of the situation, okay. I, I, I believe. So I don't think, in regards to whether you're going to sign him for the club or not, because you say, OK, we'll have those two, Coleman and Kenny is right, as the two right-backs and Sadibi's an alternative on the right-hand side of midfield. Uh, no, I mean, Kuku Martina did an admirable job at times <laughs> at left-back um, in, in, in the season, and he had to play that. I think he got a couple of assists on his left peg as well, the equivalent of Baines getting a couple on his right. So, <laughs> no, yeah, Sadibi's done... Really well when he's been called upon. Apart from that bizarre incident when um, he obviously wasn't ready on on Saturday, which which I think uh, never we've, mind. We've all got to put a sock on. <laughs> <laughs> Carlo's known for raising an eyebrow. I'm sure he raised an eyebrow at that at that particular moment. Yeah, but your hands um, there, yeah, um, yeah, he's, he's done very well when called upon right and the midfield. But I would I would hope that going forward that Everton were identifying more more natural um, right wingers. Mm. Indeed, want to debate for the. Coming months, no doubt, because uh, 
we can't really seem to agree on on a solution. And over to you, Marcel and, and Carlo, to make that call because it will not be an easy one. Um, just before we wrap up, of course, the players on winter breaks and have jetted to all manner of places around the world. Um, chaps, if you were on a winter break, where would you go? <laughs> I think I think Davies and Calvert Lewin. You, you can't say the Black Horse. You, well, you've got to get on a plane. I'll start there. Get picked up from there <laughs> right, okay. at the airport. Um, I think they've had the right idea going through America. Yeah, going going smash Vegas as heading for a week. <laughs> That'd be a decent little break, wouldn't it? Wouldn't wouldn't be wearing some of the some of the clobber I've seen though. Right. Yeah. Moist keen. Moist keen. Yeah. Poor. Some bold. Some fashion statements being made. Bees. Yeah. Where do you want me? Everton Dars response here. To <laughs> <laughs> Where would you yeah. go? You're a well-travelled gent. Yeah, I've already been on my own winter break. I have I've actually had one. It wasn't in, in um, it didn't correlate with Everton's break, but um, yeah, I've been just come back from uh, with two for the price of one. Went to Vienna and uh, threw in a second capital city for the price of one in uh, in Bratislava as well. There so you I've, go. I've already um, had my um, winter break. So what about you go. the cultural choice. What about you? I just stay Finch fan. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimate pro. <laughs> Good stuff, chaps. Right, we will ra- wrap it up there. Um, little teaser: we are recording a special podcast uh, at the end of the week, uh, which we'll put out probably on Friday. Uh, Sam and I will be sitting down with David Unsworth uh, to discuss all things academy and under twenty three. So, very much looking forward to that, and we'll bring you that Friday, probably or over the weekend. Uh, chaps, thanks for your company. Good stuff as always, and thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.